you would turn to your Bibles, it's sort of a, it's a starting verse, a foundation verse for us in the whole series, God the Healer. So Romans chapter 1, New Testament books, if you're new to the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, to the right of your Bibles, the book of Romans, the letter of Paul to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 1, foundation for us. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's different for us as a church. We, we have a focus on expositional sort of through the Bible teaching, verse by verse. And, and if you guys were with us for the last couple of years, you know we did the book of Romans. Uh, it took about three years to get about nine or ten chapters. And we like it that way because we want to really teach you the Word of God, the whole counsel of God. So, But we decided to do a series on God the Healer. And, and really that was for a lot of reasons, but I think a, a, a big reason is that we want to deal with a, a lot of really new believers that have never heard the story of, of God and, and, and what He does in the gospel and salvation, and at the same time, sort of like touching on issues as people who are maybe more mature in the faith that have known Christ, that we just all need to get a hold on, a grip on, that are really part of our sanctification, that God is the healer and He desires to heal us in salvation, in forgiveness, in our walk with Him. You know, I, I think that if, if this title of the series, God the Healer, is placed over some churches... You might expect to see a guy in a, in a $10,000 suit with a diamond uh, um, a bracelet, you know, sort of knocking people down while they wiggle around like worms on the floor. You might, oh, God, the healer, like you're going to do some, some miraculous kind of healing steps. Like you hear a lot of glory, glo- glory, glory. A lot of those shouts and hoots and hollers going on. And um, that's not what this is about. This is not about us um, telling God what to do. So when I talk about God the healer, I'm, I'm not expressing it in such a way that we're going to come together in a community and we're going to tell God how good he should be and what he should do, which is in reality what a lot of those things are, is spiritual charlatans and con artists are really uh, treating God like a genie in a lamp and saying, well, we'll tell God what he's to do. Now, let me just say at the front, when we talk about God as healer, I mean sincerely, God is really healer. And when God became man in Christ, he didn't just forgive people of their sins, he walked around and showed his power over the world, over the universe. He walked on water. He gave people eyes to see that couldn't see before. He gave people ears to hear that couldn't hear. He told people who were uh, uh, not able to walk for 39 years that get up and take up your bed and walk away, and they would. And so can God heal? Yes. We want to affirm as, as your pastors that we believe what James says, that if anybody is sick, they should get the elders of the church together to, to pray over them. And then we should trust in God's healing. We do believe that God can heal as He wills. We trust in a God that is all-powerful, and He can do whatever He pleases. If God wants to remove cancer miraculously, we're going to pray for that. We're going to trust Him, and He'll do it if He wants, for the purposes of His glory and the good of His people, if He so desires. But at the same time, we talk about the sovereign God that He actually is. We also see sickness and disease as something that is under the divine control of God, the sovereign hand of God. You know, we approach cancer at times the way that John Piper did when he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. As soon as he got diagnosed with prostate cancer, he walked out of the doctor's office and he said, God, don't let me waste my cancer. We believe in a God who actually works all things together for the good of his people, who controls every molecule in the universe, who is so sovereign, he is sovereign over the big story and over every little, little detail in the story, including cancer, including tumors, including handicaps of, of all varieties. We believe in a God who is sovereign over every detail. And we do trust him that he wants to, and we'll believe him for that. But at the same time, there may be a point in our lives where we see we've gotten an affliction 
and we get to trust in the God who is sovereign over every affliction and say, what is it, God, that you want to teach me or to use me for with this affliction? We trust God for both. That's what we believe. But at the same time, there's another element of God, the healer, and that is that in God's own character, the God that he is, he is actually healer. Now, again, he demonstrated that in his life long ministry on earth before his death and resurrection that he actually does heal. He's the kind of God that touches people and he desires to heal. So there's that part of God's nature that he actually is healer. And there's another element to the whole issue of healing that I'm going to be so bold as to say that I absolutely 100% on the authority of God's word am telling you that God desires, absolutely desires, it is his will for his people, that they are healed. I'm not saying we call down God and we say, God, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm telling you that on a basis of Scripture, that God tells his people, do not worry. And then I'm telling you that if you are a person that worries and you live in anxiety and fear and it just is something that overwhelms you on a daily basis, have problems with your heart because of anxiety and worry or fear or sweat or you wake up and you get no sleep because you're constantly consumed with worry, I'm telling you if you're in Christ and the authority of God's word that God is healer and he absolutely 100% tells us, do not worry. And that he will heal you from worry if you submit to him, if you begin to trust in him, if you do battle with, which is the very root cause of all fear and anxiety. Let me just make it simple for you. It's not that you have simply a chemical imbalance if you're the kind of person that's always worrying. If you're the person that has always had anxiety as a part of your life, I want to suggest to you that there is more to you than the bag of flesh you're carrying. And there's more to a human being as an image bearer of God than simple chemical processes going on in your brain. The world thinks they have an answer for anxiety. The first thing they try to do is look into your brain matter to say what's happening in there. And they, they begin to look at a person like a lab rat. Well, rats' brains do this under these circumstances, and so that must be sort of like what happens to humans. Well, there's a big difference between lab rats and people. Lab rats are not image bearers of God. There's more going on within us than simple, than simple um, biological chemical responses going off in our brains. So here's my answer. That the problem of anxiety and worry goes way, way deeper than simple chemical processes. Are there physical, are there physical problems that are results in people who are image bearers of God who do not believe, does it then result in physical problems? Yes. People have higher stress levels. They have hearts that are going crazy. They get uh, heart palpitations. They get problems where they're constantly in fear and they're clammy and they're sweating and they lose their breath and they may even have panic attacks. Anybody here ever, ever have a panic attack? Those are, those are a lot of fun. Am I the only one? No. <laughs> panic attacks. Those are amazing, amazing experience. But you see, are there physical things that result from a fallen condition of unbelief? Yes. But we have to, as Christians, go beyond the physical matter that's there and say, what's the root cause of, unbelief, of, of, of anxiety and worry? And I want to say that it is clear from Scripture that the root cause of all anxiety and worry, listen closely, is unbelief. What, what if I put it that way to you as a Christian? 
Someone who loves Jesus and they trust in Jesus. What if I said that to you? What if I said to you that your problem with anxiety and worry and your constant fear over the future and your circumstances and your present circumstances or whatever, what if I told you they're not simply physical? What if I told you that the Bible actually tells us what the root cause of all anxiety is? What if I told you that it's unbelief? I want you to think about it for a second. See, for a Christian who loves Jesus, who trusts in him, that's the greatest goal of life is him, God. He is the goal of all of life. He's the treasure we all pursue. He's the ultimate. And, and, and one of the things that really gives us joy as believers in salvation is the fact that God has granted us repentance to know him. It's that God has granted us faith. Philippians 1.29 says, To you it has been given not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. That God has gifted us faith. And as Christians, we think about the fact that we trust in Jesus. We have reconciliation with God. We have peace with God. We know Him. We have eternal life now. There's no condemnation. Not ever. We've gone from death to life. I believe. Jesus says that if you believe in Him, you have eternal life. And so I say to you in this room, do you believe in Him? Yes. When He says to you in His Word, and you're reading it, He says, if you believe in Him, you have eternal life. Do you take a moment and you just reaffirm your trust in Him? You ever do that? You read his word and you read Jesus saying, uh, the scripture saying something like, whoever has the son has the life. Whoever does not have the son does not have the life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Jesus saying, truly, truly, in John 5, 24, he who hears my voice and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Do you ever find yourself in that moment reading that text and you pause for a second and you're just like, I believe Jesus. You become like charismatic for a second. Glory, I believe, right? Trust in you. You see, we see the unbelief in Scripture as something we want to run far from and the belief in Christ in Scripture as something we embrace. And so when I tell Christians, look, the root cause of all your fear, of all your anxiety, is at bottom unbelief. You don't trust God. You don't believe. Tell me that that doesn't inspire you as a Christian to do something about it. Tell me it doesn't inspire you as a Christian to start fighting. Many of you guys have just given up. You've given up. You've given, you've given yourself away to the fact that this is just a problem that's just yours. You just, you're just an anxious person. You're a person who's just fearful. You just freak out. You worry. You have fits where you worry and you get scared. You wake up in fear of, do I have enough money to pay this bill? Am I, is this going to happen? Or what if this happens? Or what if that scenario happens? And you worry all the time. And maybe you've given yourself over to it and you're just like, that's just me. It's just the ABCs of me. It's just the way that I'm built. I'm built to worry. I want to say that you have believed a lie. And so we have to talk about unbelief as the very root of anxiety and worry, fear of the future, fear of the present. So first thing we have to talk about, Romans 1. This is your foundation right here. You grab hold of this, and you're going to see that God the healer Healing in areas of anxiety, healing in areas of loneliness, healing in areas of guilt and shame really has at its bottom this condition. Romans chapter 1. We're not going to go into all the details, but Romans chapter 1 starting in verse 18. Many of you guys know it because we quote it all the time. It's going to be a big verse for us in our apologetics course. But Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For that which is known about God is evident within them. For God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes and divine power have been clearly understood or perceived being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. 
So what is that basically saying in a nutshell? Everybody knows God. There's no real atheist. There's no real true atheist. There is self-deception, and there are a lot of image bearers of God denying their creator, but we all know him. We suppress the truth about him, and God has sent the message of himself into the hearts of every person who's ever lived. Every person you and I will ever come across knows the true and living God, not just some God, not a general idea of God, but they know the true and living God. It's inescapable. And what do we do with that knowledge? We suppress it. And then what do we do eventually? It says very clearly, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged what? The glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal man. Basically, what's our problem? As image bearers of God, we know God, but we switch him for an idol. That's our problem. And here's the deal. This is what I'm aiming at. The foundation of the problem is that we're sinners against the God that we all know. He's the one true and living God. We suppress the truth about him. We're fallen. And what we end up doing is switching God for idols. We have a worship problem throughout our whole life is we are at bottom idolaters. We switch God for idols. We know the true and living God, but we are plagued with idols. In the unbelieving state, as a fallen person, you will always worship, period. You will always worship and switch God for idols. As a believer who's been redeemed by Christ, you will struggle with idols. You will make war with your idols. You will fight every day of your life against idolatry. That's our foundational problem. So what is the foundation of our healing? Foundation of our problem, we know him, we suppress the truth of God, we switch God for idols. The foundation for our healing is that redemption is in Christ. We are in Christ. The call of the gospel is that God became man in the person of Christ. He's righteous. He's blameless. He's holy. He fulfilled the law of God. He died for sinners. He was buried and he rose again. And the call of the gospel is to repent and believe, to turn from sin to God, to put your faith in Christ for forgiveness and salvation. And let me just tell you, the foundation for your healing as a believer is that the righteousness you stand before God in, with, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's his perfect life credited to you. you got to get this. You struggle with loneliness. You struggle with guilt and shame. You struggle with fear of the future. You struggle with a lack of joy or pleasure in your life. The root cause is our fallen condition. You want redemption? The foundation of that is union with Jesus. Faith in him. Romans chapter 4, you can read it. It says that those who have faith in Jesus are credited righteousness apart from works. That God covers your sins. He will never count your sins against you again. And the result is Romans 5.1, therefore having been declared righteous, we have what? What? Peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore having been declared righteous through faith, we have peace with God. The foundation for all your healing is peace with God in Christ. You have to see as we talk about anything else in God the healer is just this bottom line is that if you have trusted in Christ, you are no longer identified before God as the old self. God does not see you as the lying, adulterous, murderous, broken, drug addicted, alcohol addicted, sexually immoral person. Whatever your past may be, he sees you as righteous in Christ. He will never count your sins against you. He's covered your sins. Can you embrace that for a second? That's the foundation of all your healing. Faith in Jesus brings peace with God, period. 
And that peace with God is because of Christ and his work alone. And it's a gift through faith. That's the foundation. Now we need to spring from that position. You're a believer. You trust in Christ. You've turned from sin. You've embraced him. You're forgiven. God sees you. He says, righteous, peace, no more struggles, no more war between you and God, ever. No more condemnation will ever exist between you and the Father, not ever. Not now, not ever in eternity will God ever count your sins against you because of Jesus. And now we move on to the issue of anxiety. We've dealt with guilt and shame. We've dealt with loneliness. And let's talk about anxiety. We have to see, and we're going to look at text here, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 8, that Jesus defines ultimately worry and fear of the future as unbelief. And we have to do battle with unbelief. The consequences of anxiety are myriad. There's no way, I could spend, we could spend the next six months, you guys can give me stories probably of times where you've just had freak out sessions. You ever do that? Have you ever done that? I am like, I was a master at anxiety. I'm talking about like it was a sport for me and I was good at it. I mean, freak out. I would just, this anxiety would come over me. I'm like, I, let's, let, let's go with it, right? And I would, I would have fits against God, throw my fist up at God and anger towards God as a person who professed faith in Jesus. In my car, throwing my hands up at God saying, why God? If you're there, why aren't you doing something? If you're so sovereign and if you saved me and I'm your child, why aren't you doing something? Can't you fill my bank account up with what I need? Can't you take care of this? Why is my car getting dragged away? Why am I getting evictions on my door? I would have those kinds of thoughts. Like, why is all this happening? We can't take care of me. Why did this collapse at work? Why did this happen? Why isn't this going well? And I'd freak out. So I told you where if it was like, if you were dropped 2,000 down 60 past country club and in a car on 60 going east, screaming up to the top of my roof of my car with my fist clenched, yelling at God because things were going my way. Because I was scared. Because I didn't know what was going to happen. How was I going to take care of my family? Why wasn't God coming through? You ever been in that kind of situation? Had that kind of fear? Anxiety can lead to fits of rage against God and against others. Consequences of anxiety, again, are myriad. You could lose sleep. You're afraid. You don't know how this is getting taken care of. You don't know if you can pay this bill. You don't know what's going to happen with this family member. You're, you don't know about your own health, what's going to happen. And so you live in fear, constant fear. It consumes your thoughts. Your circumstances become your identity. I don't have any money to take care of my, my, my needs. And so every day your identity is that. It's all you think about. It. You're consumed by it. You're worried for it constantly. You're worried about your health. Is that bump real? I feel this bump. Is this real? <laughs> feel this. You feel this? You feel that? And so all day long, you're consumed with fear. Is it real? Is this cancer? Am I going to die? And so you're worried constantly. It's all you think about. You're consumed by it. You can't even enjoy intimacy or relationship with anybody else because all you're thinking about is your finances or your health or something else. How about a consequence of anxiety is lack of intimacy with God? You're so freaked out about the future it's all you think about and so what do you turn that into rather than prayer and trust in god and his promises and the god that he actually is worry about your circumstances that you have fits 
of rage against God and against others. No one likes to be around you. You're just annoying. All you ever do is talk about your problems and how much you're freaking out about this and you're freaking out about that. All you are is consumed with your circumstances and it becomes your actual identity. You're always in freakout mode. Your heart's always pounding. You get flushed. You're scared. You're constantly checking up on things to make sure this is going well and you're spinning this plate well and is this, is this plate spinning well? Or, or 30 days from now, am I going to be able to take care of that bill? Am I going to have a job six months from now? And you start freaking out. It's all you think about. So it causes you as a consequence to neglect prayer and trust in God and all you have is nothing but anger towards God. And you're so stressed out because of your fear of the future that no one can enjoy being around you. Because all you do is you, you think through these problems you have and your fear of the future and will this get taken care of and will that get taken care of and so what do you do? Everybody around you is affected by it. You're angry with everybody. Most of all because you're angry with God. You're angry with your spouse, you're angry with your kids, you're angry with your friends. You can't even enjoy life because you're so consumed with your fear of the future. Everybody pays the tax with you of your unbelief. Another consequence of unbelief that leads to anxiety and fear of the future, are you ready for this? Listen closely, is sexual sin. Sexual sin is a real consequence of anxiety and fear. Why? Because you're consumed with the fear of the future and your worry about the future because all you do is fear and you're constantly in fear at some point as an image bearer of God, that bubble's going to pop. And that bubble being God and God do in a fallen state. What do they do? They switch God for what? Idols. You can't cease worshiping. You can't cease seeking peace because God is the God of peace and you're made in His image. And so what will you and I do? If we live in a state of fear and anxiety and worry all the time, all, at some point, that bubble's going to pop and you're going to start acting out sinfully. You're going to give up. Because at some point you're going to say, you know, I really need some pleasure. This is overwhelming. I'm freaking out. Where's God? Is He not showing up? Does He not care about me? Is He not really Father? And so what do you do? You act out sinfully. You switch God for an idol. Why? Because at some point you're going to need joy and pleasure and delight. And rather than going to God, you're already mad at Him. You don't trust Him, so what do you do? You switch God for the bootleg pleasure, the bootleg joy. You need intimacy in that moment of desperation, which is what God is doing to call you to Him. And so rather than seeking Him for intimacy, what will you do? Things you never would have imagined you would do. Believe me, anxiety and fear of the future will lead to a host of sin. Not the least sexual sin, but at least that. It does happen. And so how do we do battle with anxiety. It's only by obviously looking at the words of God. What was our confession we did today? It's the only infallible rule of faith. You want to know what's true? You don't need a motivational speech from somebody telling you a bunch of tips on how to deal with your anxiety, like take a cold shower or punch a pillow. It doesn't work. If you're like me and you're, kind of per you're the kind of person that will just freak out anyways, you can't give me enough tips you can't give me enough good advice because when the going gets tough, I'm freaking out and I'm going to like it. I'll kind of, in a sick way, enjoy it, right? Because it's some sort of a release 
So tips aren't going to work. Telling you a bunch of tips like punch a pillow or take a cold shower or take some deep breaths, eventually it doesn't work. I remember one point I was at a hospital ministering to people and they had just done <laughs> had just done a crash course on like how to deal with anger. <laughs> and uh, they didn't deal with it biblically, obviously. It was a total secular mindset on how to deal with anger. And so it's amazing. Um, uh, people were in the course on how to deal with anger and the whole thing was like, well, if you get angry, take a step back. Take some deep breaths. Deep breaths in your nose first, very important. Then out your mouth. <sighs> out your mouth. <sighs> You get really, really angry, step away from the situation. Go somewhere else. Call a friend. Read a book. Go see a movie. Take a drink of some cold water. Punch a pillow. I don't know why you'd want to encourage anybody in a moment of anger to start punching things. Because at some point, the pillow's not satisfying me anymore, right? But they did. So here's the whole crash course on anger, and here's your tips on how to get free from anger. Great. It was not 20 minutes later that outside in the smoking lounge... There was a straight-up pipe-hitting fight going on outside. Same dudes that were in the crowd. For some odd reason, 20 minutes later, it wasn't working. And I had to break them up. And I enjoyed it. It was fun. I always like to put my ninja skills to the test, and they worked. And I even got an award. I got Employee of the Month for being a ninja. I did. I really did, because I broke up a fight. But I got to break the fight up. I got an employee of the month because something wasn't right with this problem of all these tips they were giving these people on how to get rid of anger. And it's not going to work for me to give you tips on how to not be anxious because it doesn't deal with the issue. You got cancer deep down. And how would you feel going to the doctor? You got cancer. It's there. He knows it's there. It's all right there on all the scans. Cancer's there, he's confirmed it, he knows it, and he says, um, cancer, it's right there, it's in your, you go, oh, man, this is kind of, it's bad news and it's good news, bad news, cancer is good news, because what are we going to do about it? He goes, well, tell me, uh, what are your symptoms? And you go, oh, I don't know, stomach's hurting, sweating all the time, I can't keep food down, I can't sleep at night, I'm, I just buckle up, and the doctor says, all right, here's something for the pain, here's something for the nausea, here's something for the sweats, here you go. Have a nice day. Wait a second. Are you going to deal with the cancer? He's like, well, no, I, I've dealt with all the symptoms. Hey, doctor, I don't know if it's Obamacare or what, but I need a new doctor. I need something different. Just kidding, okay? Just trying to see if you're still awake. Um, I need some shoe that it's not the symptoms you deal with. It's the cancer. When are you going to take the cancer out? And for Christians and the issue of anxiety, what are we going to do? We're going to deal with the symptoms. We're actually going to take root of it and rip it out. So in order to see what the root of it is, you need to go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. You can start at verse 25. I'm going to read the whole passage to you. You can follow me if you like, but listen closely, and then I'm going to try to take some parts out of this so we can all see Jesus as healer, speaking to his people to heal them from anxiety and fear. Verse 25, this is why I tell you, these are the words of the Lord, don't worry about your life, 
what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet you have them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single hour to your life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. First passage. I want you to take your pen if you have it, if you're okay with doing this. Take your pen, and I want you to go right... to verse 30. Some of you probably already have it highlighted or marked. Verse 30, look at the end of verse 30. Look what Jesus says, you of little faith. Or some of you might have the old school translation saying, ye of little faith. Look at the verse, circle it, mark it, start, whatever. I need you to look at that and highlight that moment in Jesus' teaching. Now next, you're still in Matthew. I want you to go to Matthew 8, 23. I'm going to build the case for you to show you that anxiety is at its root unbelief. Matthew chapter 8. Go to verse 23. Some of you guys know the scene. It is spectacular. If you don't know it, read it later in full. Digest it. Think through it and embrace it. I need you to embrace it. Matthew 8, 23. Look what, Jesus, look what happens with the wind and the waves with Jesus and the disciples on a boat. As he got into the boat, verse 23, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. But he said to them, why are you fearful, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Again, take your pen, marker, whatever you got, and I want you to do what? Go where? Little faith. Little faith. Mark it. Highlight it. Because here in these two examples, we have Jesus dealing with the issue in the one case of Matthew 6, dealing with anxiety dealing with worry, and Jesus saying, do not be worried. Now that, by the way, is not Jesus giving you a suggestion, sort of like the Tony Robbins of like anxiety, like, hey, I have some good advice for you guys. Try not to worry, right? This is Jesus as the Lord of glory, God in the flesh, saying to you, do not worry. We see God saying, Ten Commandments, right? Thou shall not lie. None of us take that as a suggestion, right? God's saying, hey, here's an idea. Don't lie to each other. Hey, like, you know, he's saying, you shall not lie. I'm God. 
God cannot lie. His character is holy, holy, holy. And he tells you as his image bearer, do not lie. And Jesus, here's the lawgiver, Jesus, same lawgiver, saying to his people in the Sermon on the Mount to his kids, he says, do not worry. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. And how could we take something like that from Jesus in the way that he says it, where he says, do not worry. And you're like, Lord, how in the world does anyone obey that? How in the world are you going to tell me, do not worry? Have you seen my bank account, Lord? Do you know about the phone call that I just got? Were you, were you with me in the doctor's office just now? How could you tell me not to worry? How could God command people not to worry? Unless it is at its root something sinful. Think about it. Do not worry is a command by Jesus. How could God command something like that unless it was at its root sinful? Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Read it. Look what he says. Verse 25, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink about your body, what you will wear? He says, they don't sow or reap, talking about the birds, or gather in barns. Look closely, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And look what he does in comparison. He says, the Gentile, Gentiles eagerly seek these things. What is he saying there? He says, your heavenly Father knows you need them. Those unbelievers, in my translation, the HCSB, it says the idolaters seek these things. Jesus says this, don't worry. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows you need these things. Don't be like those unbelievers. They don't know God. They've got every reason to freak out. They don't know Him. They worship other gods. He's not Father to them. And that's why they freak out. Don't be like the ones who don't know Him. He's your father, and that's the difference. But notice what Jesus does. He says, in some translations again, it says, O ye of little faith. Listen closely. That's probably something Jesus made up. In English, it's, it's uh, you of little faith, or ye of little faith. In the Greek, it's one word, little faiths. It's like Jesus had a pet name for his followers. It's his pet name. My son is Stellar. We call him Turtle. Sailor, we call Say Say. I don't think I ever call him anything but Say Say and Turtle. Some people are probably like, this guy's like a hippie or something. I'm like, my kid's Turtle and Say Say. And I have nicknames for my kids, Sissy for, for Imogen. I just, they're nicknames. And it's like Jesus has a nickname or pet name for his followers. You know what he calls you and I oftentimes in our lives? Little faiths. Your father knows you need these things. The ones who don't know him, they have every reason to freak out. Don't be like them, little faiths. So if Jesus is saying, don't be worried, don't be worried, you can't add a single hour to your life by your worrying. He takes the legs right out from underneath you. He, I love how Jesus does this. He says, do not do this. And then he starts to follow and give you reasons. And I love it. He says, don't be worried. Don't do it. Your heavenly Father knows you need these things. And then he says this to you. He says, ready? Let me take your legs off. Can you add a single hour to your life by your worry? And I want you to think about that. And every time 
anxiety overwhelms you and I as believers, I need you to stop and think about that. Every time you get the phone call, every time you look at the account, every time you think through your circumstances and anxiety starts to overwhelm you, I want you to go back to his words. He commands you, do not worry. Your father knows you need these things. Do not worry. Can you add an hour to your life? I want you to ask yourself that question in your moment of deepest despair. Ask yourself the question, is my staying up till three in the morning freaking out over this? Is my fear right now and my falling into this darkness and overwhelming sense of despair, is it going to change any of this? And the answer is what? No. What is Jesus taking you and I to at the very core of this problem of unbelief? What's He's taking you to the sovereignty of God. He says this, don't do it. You need it. Who's in control of whether you live another hour? Who's got control of your details? Your whole life. Your father does. And that's why Jesus can say with all confidence and righteousness as our Savior, do not worry. He knows what you need. He says, look at the micro things, the grass. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Look at the birds of the air. They don't do nothing. You know, sow, reap, gather in the barns, and yet your father feeds the birds. The very hairs on your head, they're all numbered. And if you stop and think about that, that's the craziest thing ever. That's crazy. As I was preparing for the sermon today, I took a gander in the shower. In my house, there's a drain shower. Sorry, babe, I'm going to give some details of the home. And there's a bunch of hair. Bunch of hair. And like in that drain, just stuck to it. And I don't, want to, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to touch it. But God actually knows the hairs on my head. He knows about the details of the hair because he's all-knowing and the determiner of all things. He knows the details to the smallest detail, to the head. And Jesus is saying to you, look, your father takes care of the birds. How much more is he going to take care of you? And Jesus is saying to you, listen closely, because here's the punch to it. He's saying, little faith, which if you take it, if you take it the other way, if we had big faith, would there be worry? Anxiety and fear go away with big faith. Jesus is saying, don't worry, little faiths. He always goes for the jugular, little faiths. Your little faith, be big faith, be big faith. So the, tr the truth is, when anxiety and worry overwhelms me, I focus on the fact that God commands me not to worry. He says he's my father. He says he'll care for my needs. And Jesus says to me, don't be little faith. Big trust, big faith, big belief. So how do you do battle with anxiety and fear? First thing is this, work on your unbelief. Know that unbelief is the root cause of all anxiety and fear. You want to kill it? You want to put it to death? Deal with the unbelief. How? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Go over to Hebrews 3, 12. Hebrews 3, 12. Hebrews 3, 12. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. 
I'm going to read that again so you can hear it. How serious is unbelief? Hebrews 3.12, watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. You and I, as Christians, have got to do battle with unbelief as serious. And if Jesus teaches us that anxiety and fear and worry of the future and worry of our circumstances is at base little faith, then we have to take it seriously as believers. Think about the fact that that story with Jesus is straight up historical. It's real. These guys are fishermen in Matthew 8. They're professionals. They've been on this sea a bunch of times and they know about the waves and they know about the difficulties. And I got to tell you right now, I, some of you guys know this about me, and I'm fine that you know it. One of my fears is like the ocean. Like that freaks me out. Like if I, I, I will, I, I remember like being like 14 years old and I was on a national karate team. And they were like, Jeff, you're going to fight in the adult black belt men's team fights. And I was like, yeah, adult black belt men's team fights. These are like men that have been fighting their whole life. Some of them were massive and there's no weight division like normal in adult team fights. It's just, it's the big and small. And I remember I was like, yes, I love to get punched in the face. I love to punch. I'm sorry. It's a sick part of my life. You have to forgive me for this. I just love it. Just I absolutely loved fighting. And the bigger the guy, I was like, awesome. This is going to be awesome. I love to fight. I love to spar. Wasn't afraid. Put the biggest guy in front of me, and I was like, awesome. This guy has killed 20 people today. He eats their legs off when they're done. And you're next, Jeff. I'll be like, yes. This is going to be awesome. Make sure you're filming this. Like, you know, even if I lost, I was fine with it. I was like, it was a learning experience. I love to do it. You put me in the ocean... I will turn into a little girl. No offense, little girls. I will turn into a little... What's down there? You... So don't you dare judge me, because you don't know either. It's scary, and you know it. Have you ever been in like a lake or something, and something brushes past your leg? Tell me it's not the worst moment of your life. It's scary. It's scary. And these guys are like that. They're in a sea, and the boat could... The ship could capsize... They're professional fishermen. They know the danger. And this is a storm that kicks up that these professionals who've been doing this deal, they've done the dance for a long time, they're actually saying, we're going to die. And Jesus, with all the waves and all the winds kicking up and that boat getting battered, and these professionals saying, we're going to die. And they're saying to Jesus, wake up. Don't you care we're going to die? He's sleeping. It's the first thing you should recognize. Here's Jesus asleep. Probably a lot of reasons. One, he has an absolute complete trust in the Father and his circumstances. And two, he's probably really tired from ministry. But he's asleep. And the disciples are freaking out. And it's your life. That is the true story of what actually happened. But in, 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 at, at, the, at the bottom of all this, you've got to see yourself in that story. It's your life. It's your life. Admit it. The wave comes onto your boat and you freak out. You start yelling at Jesus. Don't you care? I'm dying. You freak out. But to be truthful, be honest. For many of us that have struggled with anxiety and fear, it's oftentimes not even a big wave. It's a ripple. And you start yelling at God. And you're angry with God. Start blaming him for things. 
What's Jesus' answer to his followers that freak out over waves crashing on the, on the boat? What's his answer? He doesn't wake up and tell them to take deep breaths. He wakes up and he calms the storm at his will. He determines when it stops. And he says, right to the heart of the problem, he says, little faith. The problem was that they should have recognized then and you should recognize now who is in control of the sea and the wind and the waves. You should recognize and you should recognize at all times who's on the boat with you, who carries the sea. And when Jesus determines in your life and my life to calm the storm, he will calm it when he pleases. He's in control. Little faith is the issue. He says big faith. Big faith. Big trust. You want to kill anxiety? You don't need any more tips. You need to repent of unbelief. Repent of unbelief. But you ask the question, well, like, how, what will it look like? Let me give you the antidote for unbelief that leads to anxiety. Are you ready? You can write it down. One. Here's the antidote daily. One. The sovereignty of God. And I'm talking about an utter, complete abandonment of yourself to everything God says about his reign and his control over every detail of history. You want to kill unbelief? Stop living the lie that he's not in control of this universe. How, how do I say trust in his sovereignty? Number one, you need to trust in the sovereignty of God over the macro events of life. Macro meaning the overarching big issues. Psalm 110.1 says this. Are you ready for this? Here's Psalm 110.1. He must reign until all his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. The macro events of history is this. You want to know where history is going? To the feet of Jesus. That's the story. The hope you and I have in the gospel is that it's his kingdom in history bringing salvation. Psalm 110.1, one of the most quoted verses of the New Testament from the Old Testament is that he's going to reign until all his enemies are under his feet. So you know what? You watch a church collapse. He must reign until all his enemies are under his feet. You see a hero fall. He must reign until all his enemies are under his feet. You lose your house. You lose your property. You lose your stuff. You lose your health. He must reign until all his enemies are under his feet. That's the... Jesus has a final day of judgment where the just and the unjust are dealt with. Those who know him, eternal life with him, to delight in God and in one another for all eternity, and those who don't know Him, to spend an eternity apart from Him. That's the macro story, and it's true. It's true, and nothing's changing that. The sovereignty of God over the whole story. It says in Isaiah, He declares the end from the beginning. It says clearly that the Lord does according to His will in the heavens above and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can stay His hand or say, what have you done? He works all things, the Bible says, after the counsel of His will. And I want you to think about your circumstances right now. The circumstance that you are in right now as a Christian is a circumstance that your Heavenly Father who loves you and works all things together for your good, it's a circumstance that He has put you in. No one thwarted Him. No one has stopped Him. No one can defeat Him. And Romans 8.28 says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. So I want to tell you right now, number one, you want to do battle with unbelief that leads to anxiety and fear? Start living 
in the light of the truths of the sovereignty of God over all of history. He is sovereign. And everything in your life right now, God has determined for His glory and for your good. And you can rest. You can rest whether you're in a desert or a garden. It doesn't matter. Because it's God who walks with you. You can pray like a psalmist, God, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You want to know who your help is? It's God. It's the one who's in control of all of history. Lift up your eyes above your circumstances and trust in the sovereign God who rules the universe, who right now is off spinning some planet in a galaxy that you'll never see for his own delight. The God who's delighting right in it now and in creatures that are living in that freaky sea that he's made that no one's paying attention to but him. And why did he make them? Because he's bored, he made them for his glory. That's the God you worship. No matter what your circumstance, Romans 8, 28, he works all things after the counsel of his will, and then he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Now, ready? Here's the second thing you're going to focus on, on the sovereignty of God, the micro issues of life. Because you might think, okay, God's in charge of the big stuff, big things, the big story. But how about the little details? How about Proverbs 16, 13? Proverbs 16, 16, 13. Go to it because I want you to see it. Proverbs 16, 13. Lest you be tempted to say that God's in control of all things that are big, but not necessarily every detail. Proverbs 16, 13. Looks like I uh, might have wrote down the wrong reference here, guys. Well, you can look it up. That the lot is cast, but the decision is the Lord's. Look it up. Now, what's more random? What's more random than casting lots? You want to know what casting lots is? Kids in the room, you ever had like dice? And you throw the dice for a game. Try to get the six as the highest number, you know, and you, you cast those dice. Well, it's sort of the same as casting lots. So the idea is you cast the lots, but it's in determination. What's more random than dice throwing? <laughs> Honestly, what's more random than dice throwing? And it says that even the throwing of the dice is something that is sovereignly determined by God. And that should throw you off a bit. That everything down to the casting of the lots is in God's hands. How about further? How about the hairs of your head in Luke 12, 7? How about the birds? That not one, bird's fall, not one bird falls from a branch without your father knowing about it. That is God decreeing it. How many birds right now are falling off branches, dying in a jungle somewhere? And that's the father determining now. So am I determined I'm going to go sin like crazy this weekend in Vegas? Whatever happens, Vegas stays in Vegas, right? And you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out to Vegas. I'm going to get crazy, crazy all week. I'm going to crazy in Vegas. And God can meet you on Friday. And take your life. He's the sovereign or de determiner of whether or not you can do it. He's that kind of sovereign. 
He's sovereign over the grass of how it's clothed and when it goes in the fire. He's sovereign over your life, how many days are in them. And it says in Psalm 139, what? That all your days are written in his book before there's even one of them. Every day of your life in his sovereign control. I want to tell you that God is so sovereign. He's sovereign over the beats of your head and where you look and when you step. I want to tell you about this moment right now. Many of you in this room right now have come to Christ as a result of this ministry. You heard the gospel from me or Pastor Luke or somebody here and you came to Christ as a result of this church and this ministry, and you're in Christ now, many of you guys not dead like maybe you should be with the life that you were living. You're sitting here right now alive and loving Jesus and, and serving Him, and your life is totally different now and transformed as a result of this church. But it's all little steps. It's all little beats, little details God is in control of. I'm going to just tell you one example, just one single example of my life. It was a, micro, a small issue. It's a beat of the head. It's a move of the hand. It's a move of the foot on the brake or not. We were at Disneyland. Yeah, Disneyland. We were at Disneyland years ago. I'm pretty sure this is before Stella was born. I think it was. Was, was, he, was he born? And so here's the deal. How sovereign is God over the micro issues, macro well, Disneyland has terrible coffee. They do. They have awful coffee. And awful coffee that costs an awful lot. Right? It's terrible coffee, terrible price. Right? Bad coffee, big bills. Right? And so we're at Disney, and we're like, well, let's not go right into Disney. Let's go to a coffee shop down the road. It's a mile away. We'll go there. And so we get in the car. Kids are in the car. We get in the car, and this is before... Apologia Church. This is before I even knew Luke, I believe. Might have been right when I met him. So we get in the car, and we're driving to go to this coffee shop, and we stop in California at a stop. Now, think about all the steps, all the kids we had to corral to get into the car at that moment. Think about how long I decided to brush my teeth. Think about what I ate or didn't eat. Think about all the steps to the left or to the right or to the elevator and pushing the button and who was downstairs getting in it that took it longer to get up or all the little beats, all the little looks, all the little steps to the left or to the right. All the time it took to lock in the seat belt in the car seat. All these little issues of life, right? The micro issues, the little steps, the little breaths. So we get in the car and we drive and we come to California. You know, California, there's, there's, there's vegetation everywhere which is one of the things I love about California that you just don't get here, right? It's green. And so we're at a stoplight, and no one's behind us, and there's a car, uh, uh, one road going this way. This is a T. And there's bushes here, here. can hardly see anything around any corner. And here's the deal. I love Christmas. You're like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, here's the deal. I love Christmas, and I love Elvis Presley. They kind of go together for me. And if you know what I'm talking about, Elvis Presley Christmas. This is the most glorious, amazing, God-honoring Christmas music ever made, okay? And I'll, I will do the public debate of that, if you would like, okay? So it happens to be that we're on our way, and we're at a stoplight, and here's the road, can't see really around the corners, and all of a sudden, I think there was voices in the back of my car, it might have just been in my head, that said, turn on some Elvis Presley Christmas. Awesome! And so I had my foot on the brake, 
and the light turned green, and right as I go to hit the gas, I'm like, no, I'll put some Christmas on. And I go to hit the button, and then right as I go to hit the button, I turn the music on, and I start to push the gas, and right at that beat of when I would have been right in the middle of the intersection, shoo, car flies right through the red light. Would have most certainly killed all of us. Micro issues, little beats, little steps. Think about it. What's your life about? How many little beats, how many little steps did you take to get to this moment? How many questions, how many answers, how many beats, how many breaths, how many to the left, to the right? It was crazy. It's my love of Christmas and Elvis that brought this church into existence. Consider that for a second. One more beat. One decision. Elvis Presley Christmas. Stop the car from moving forward with a car that was flying through the intersection, running a red light. What had most certainly nailed us. Micro issues. If that decision wasn't made at that moment with no thought on my own, this church wouldn't be here today. Some of you guys wouldn't have heard the gospel at a, at a rehab facility years ago. Consider that. It's all micro-issues. And if you consider the fact that Jesus says, all that the Father has given to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I'll never cast out. People have been given to Jesus by the Father. He will never lose you. You've been predestined by God to be joined to Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. That's the overarching story. How did you come to Christ? Some of you in this room came to the gospel proclamation of this church, and this church exists because of time in rescuing a family in a matter of a second and a half at a street corner in California while on vacation. Micro issues. Every breath, every step, every beat, all in the hands of a sovereign God. You want to do battle with unbelief? Focus on the sovereignty of God over every issue in life. Trust him. And proof that that is Jesus' prescription for you is Matthew 6. What did he say? Don't why? Your father knows you need this. And what does Jesus say to take away your argument? What does he focus on? The sovereignty of God. He says, add a single hour to your life by your worrying. What is Jesus doing there? What is he, what is he, how is he reorienting your thinking? He's bringing your thinking to what? Don't do it. Your father knows you're not in control. He is. The sovereignty of God. The second point, I want you to focus very simply on the character of God. Do you know that Jesus, when he brings the story of don't worry to your eyes and you? Father, not your enemy. He's a lover of your soul. You're his child. And I want you to go to one place. Go to Matthew 7, and we're done. Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 7. I want, you to I want you to listen to what Jesus says about your Father. When you focus on the sovereignty of God, belief that leads to anxiety, focus on His character. What is He like? Matthew 7, 7. Jesus says, keep asking, and it'll be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds, and so the one who knocks the door will be opened. 
What man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he get, or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What is Jesus doing there? He's showing the character of your God. That if you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is not evil, who is always good, give to you? And you need to know as a child of God that if he works all things after the counsel of his will and all things work together for good to those who love him, and he tells you, do not be worried. You can't add a single hour to your life. Don't be like the unbelievers. You have all the confidence in the world that you can come to him as father and you can pray and you can trust and you can take a deep breath. And guess what? Let me tell you this. You are given permission by God to not worry. Do you need it? Jesus gave it to you. Do you need permission to let go of it? Jesus gave it to you. When anxiety and fear rises up in your life, know that it's distrust of God at its roots and know that Jesus told you you can let that go. You can abandon it all to your Father. He desires you to do so. And let me just give you one verse to go home with, and there could be hundreds, hundreds of verses. It's a powerful one that I want, I want to encourage you to memorize. Isaiah 41, 10. When you have a moment of fear that overwhelms you, and it springs into desperation and anxiety. I want you to remember the words of the Lord Jesus where he tells you, child, do not be worried. Take a deep breath and I want you to memorize this verse and I want you to call it up at that moment of fear. Call it up. God says in Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. That's the God we worship. Treasure it up. Treasure it up. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. If anxiety is at its root unbelief, which is sin, you need to have words from God treasured up within you so that you do not sin. Can I ask you something as I, as I, as I finish this in prayer? Sermons are not meant to simply inspire and motivate. Sermons are meant to cause conviction and response. So let me ask you, if I just showed you from the scriptures that anxiety is unbelief and that is sin, is God calling you right now to confess, to repent, and to rejoice? And if so, now church is where you respond. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask, Lord, that you meet us in this place powerfully, Lord, by your Spirit and with your presence, I pray that you would right now, Lord, free your people from that 
plague of anxiety we have had because of unbelief, because of distrust of You. I pray right now, God, that You would just bring the peace that only You can give through Your promises and by Your Spirit right now over us. Cause us, God, to repent. Lord, convict us, every one of us in here, God, that struggles with anxiety. Help us to daily, when unbelief sets in, help us to put it to death with trust in you, belief in you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be big faith and not little faith. And all God's people say, amen.